welcome to the third episode of the Three at the Back podcast. I'm your host, Tom Warville, and I'm a data scientist here at OptiPro. In this episode, I speak with Brendan Kent and Andrew Popolo, two Harvard students who also work as data analysts for football teams in the United States. Brendan works mainly in recruitment for the Portland Timbers, and Andrew works as a match analyst for the New York Cosmos. In the first section, I speak to Andrew about his role with the New York Cosmos, how it came about, and his background at Harvard. In the second section, I speak with Brendan about his role in recruitment at the Portland Timbers and his relationship with their general manager, Gavin Wilkinson. And in the third section, we have a general discussion about football analytics. We discuss some of Andrew's and Brendan's ideas separately, and we close out with some advice for those looking to get into football analytics. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Three at the Back podcast. I'm Tom Warville. I'm a data scientist here at OptiPro. Uh, and this episode, I'm joined by Brendan Kent and Andrew Popolo. So, uh, Andrew, if you'd like to introduce yourself first. Hi, I'm Andrew Popolo. I'm currently one of two data analysts at North American Soccer League side, New York Cosmos. And I'm entering my sophomore year at Harvard University, studying statistics. Uh, Brendan. I'm, I'm Brendan Kent. I am uh, in my second season as the data analyst for the Portland Timbers, also a Harvard undergrad studying statistics. Nice. So why are you guys in London? It's quite you're pretty far from home considering you're both studying at Harvard. So Brendan, uh, well we're we're mostly here on a little a little vacation right before we go back to school um, to see uh, to see as much football as we can. We uh, are able to squeeze in what will be six six matches while we're here. So uh, number number five will be tonight. Number six tomorrow before we go back. So it's been really fun. Nice one. Uh, and number six being I know what five is. Uh, number six is uh, West Ham Europa League match. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's good. At the London Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Um, yeah, so obviously these guys both work in uh, North American football or soccer, as uh, these guys probably know it as. So I um, thought we'd look a bit more into their roles. So, um, Andrew, your role is you know, specifically about match analysis. So can you give sort of a general overview of what you do sort of match-to-match, day-to-day with the Cosmos? So a typical weekly... Uh, typical week, it depends on whether or not there's a midweek match or whether or not Cosmos are playing home or away that week. But I'll generally, if there's a match Saturday, I'll make sure I'll have a full match report sent over to the coaching staff on either Monday, preferably Monday, sometimes Tuesday. It really depends on if there's a midweek match. Sometimes I have to cut something out just because there's only two of us there. And then, so I'll usually send two reports to the coaching staff a week. I'll send a post-match report sort of analyze each player's performance, analyze trends from that match, and then I'll send over a scouting report of the next opponent. So I'll usually analyze their last three matches and then anything we can aggregate over the course of the entire season, and we'll send that over. And then if the coaching staff has anything else they want to look at specifically with the team, whether it be passes between two players or um, yellow cards, because they have very specific yellow card rules in the NASL, uh, we'll send over that too, but it's usually post-match, pre-match, uh, pretty lengthy reports on those teams, and the coaching staff uses them sure. pretty heavily in their match preparation. So who do you send the reports to? Is it the head coach? or? So I uh, mostly report to both the technical director, Luke Sassano, and the head scout, Dane Murphy, and they'll forward that on to the coaching staff. So the manager is Gio Savarisi, and he reads through all of it. He uses that as maybe one of four or five pieces of information that he uses to come up with a match plan for the next match. So he'll use video analysis, maybe 
a scout that they have through their scouting network and then they'll use the statistical analysis to either support what they've seen or maybe it creates a completely different aspect to what they what the other pieces of information will have sure. shown them. And are these reports quite vis heavy? Uh, so there's there's quite a lot of visual, especially with uh, we use a lot of chalkboard analysis to look at players' passing tendencies, whether or not they pass the ball long, short, left, right, uh, where they're having where they're accurate with their passes, where they're struggling. So if they're struggling, you maybe try and push them to pass towards that specific area of the field. So we'll that will probably be about a third of what we send over, and then we'll use Optus Query Tool to send over other pieces of information on specific players, find which players are doing well with certain things, which players aren't doing well with other things, but and sort of figuring out where they attack. So you come up with a pretty comprehensive pre-match report. It's probably 25 pages long, 20 to 25 pages long, and probably 60% of that, 60 to 70% of that's images and the rest is text. Right, okay. Uh, and you've been with the, this is your first year with the Cosmos? Yeah, so uh, our other analyst name is Nick Heath. We started uh, doing an internship together in May. It was supposed to just be through the summer, but the Cosmos have asked us to stay on uh, through the fall and winter and not really sure past there. But. Sure. Um, and can you detail a bit about the NASL? Because I know it's quite, I mean, MLS is quite a different league to your European leagues, but the NASL has like two distinct seasons, if I'm correct. So the NASL currently operates with a two-season model, uh, somewhat similar to the Mexican League or some of the other South American leagues. But they have a 10-match spring season that starts at the beginning of April and ends in the beginning to middle of June, where in the fall, in the spring season there were 11 teams. We Every team plays each other once for 10 matches, five at home and five away. And the winner of the spring season, which I, which this season was the Indy 11, they beat us on the fourth tiebreaker, which was head-to-head. We finished level with them on points, goal scored, goal difference, and then they beat us head-to-head. So they won the spring season, and they clinched a playoff spot for the championship, which is uh, in November. Mm. And then in this fall, so we take about a month off. There's U.S. Open Cup matches in between, which NASL teams take very seriously. Uh, the fall season starts at the beginning of July. We added a 12th team this uh, f- fall, Puerto Rico FC, who are owned by Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. Um, so you play each each of the 12 teams home and away, and then the winner of the fall qualifies for the playoffs, and then the next two best teams combined from the two seasons qualify for the playoffs. So you'll have four teams, four-team playoff at the end in November. Yeah. And are you expecting, obviously it's your first season, but uh, playing all the teams first time around is going to be quite different second time around because of like player turnover and like, maybe manager turnover? Is there quite a big change in that? Yeah, the NASL's had a lot of playoff turnover. I think the best example of that is Miami FC. We played them in the spring, uh, beat them pretty handily 3-0 away from home and we hit the post on a wide open net. So it could have been a lot worse than that. But in between seasons, Miami put in a lot of investment brought in a couple of new players, actually took two players, Michael LaHood and Gabriel Farfan from the Cosmos. They bought Poku from NYCFC. They bought another NASL player, Richie Ryan. And the, t- the team was completely different in the fall. And it was similar when we were looking at Ottawa Fury. They, we played them first match of the fall season, and their lineup was completely different than what we were expecting because some of the players they didn't bring back from contracts or they had a couple of free agents. So... It always keeps you on your toes yeah. with this. Absolutely. Um, and I know like you're not in, involved in the recruitment side of things just yet, 
Um, but once again, like comparing MLS to NASL, there's no salary cap in the league, so um, you know you might have to rely on uh, and also lower budgets, so free transfers and things. So does that sort of a do you have like plans of sort of recruitment process in place for the future, and b sort of like how would that plan change if you were to be recruiting in MLS versus the team you with now? So at Cosmos, we have a much lower budget, uh, mainly signing guys on free transfers and loans. So we either sign guys on loan from MLS clubs, young guys, or we sort of have to be very inventive with how we sign players. Uh, this year we brought in a player named David Ochiang, who's a center back, kind of small center back, but very pacey, which isn't really the center back mold, but he came from the Kenyan Premier League. He's a Kenyan guy. And we have a lot of players come in from very different leagues all over the world, and a lot of scouts offer us players. Yeah. So I am not too involved in the recruiting side of uh, the Cosmos at the moment just because we haven't brought in any players this summer. But sure. going forward, I will be. Um, and you guys are both, you know, you're both at Harvard and you have a, like a sports analytics group. Um, so Brenda, do you want to give us a few details about what that sort of entails? Yeah, so we have a great, uh, great sports analytics club at Harvard. Uh, we meet uh, we meet weekly and we have a blog that we publish, you know, analytic style articles online that, um, you know, covering a variety of sports. Historically, it's been a lot of, you know, American football, basketball, baseball, but uh, in, in recent years, there's been a lot more, you know, football, soccer um, in it, which has been great. It's been great for me and Andrew. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of, at this point, um, Quite a few of us have gotten into working for teams and things like that uh, through getting experience in this club. We have, you know, Andrew and Nick are both at the Cosmos. Um, I'm in Portland, and then our friend Nathan Goldberg is at Orlando City. So, um, you know, between us and the other um, football fans in the club, we uh, we have some good discussions and we bounce ideas off each other, and it's it's pretty interesting. And you know, there's a lot of great great connections um, uh, through the club. Sure. And is it something that you guys like? want to do career-wise or is it just you know while you're at uni it's, it's something fun to do and it's a good application of what you're learning on your, in your respective courses? Uh, you know for me it, it could be both it's it's absolutely a way that I um, you know apply what I learn uh, or my courses and things like that at school um, I think I've learned almost as much through applying these things um, working with the Timbers and writing articles for our sports analysis club um, than I have in the classroom because you know using using this stuff in real in the real world is probably the best experience you can get. Um, as far as a career, I am you know I still have two more years left of uni, so I'm not completely decided what I want to do. But this is certainly something I'm interested in and a definite definitely possible career path for me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Andrew, yourself? Yeah, I'm. I I think Brendan sort of just copied exact or <laughs> Brendan said exactly what I was going to say. It's definitely. Doing sports analytics, I mean, mostly I've been focusing on football or soccer just because that's what my passion is, and I've been watching the Premier League pretty extensively every weekend for the last probably seven years. And using, I mean, I right now I've only done one year of university, so my statistical jargon's a little, it's a little, it's a little limited right at this moment. But two years down the line will be quite different. And yeah, it's as Brendan said, it's a great way to use what I've learned in the classroom to maybe find something interesting in the sport I love, which is football or soccer. Mm. And, yes, in terms of a career path, it's definitely something I'm interested in. I'm not 100% set on it, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of different career paths I can take with a statistics degree. And being an analyst or a data scientist at a football-related company is definitely something I'm interested in. 
And you guys headed to Sloan this year as well. Yes. So how did you how did you find that? I thought Sloan was great. Um, you know, it was it was one of my first real chances to. Um, I'd been to Nessus in the fall, um, New England, um, you know, sports analytics conference actually hosted at Harvard and that was great. And I met a lot of people there and then had another opportunity at Sloan to, um, you know, meet a lot of other analysts, which is something you don't get to do day to day, especially in the U S where all the clubs are so far apart. So it was, uh, it was great to be able to interact with them and, and, you know, learn a lot from the panels there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, something we discussed off call as well is like learning a lot more about the sports you're not involved in completely. Mm-hmm. So, like Andrew, for you, is there any sort of sports you're interested in outside of soccer, or any anywhere you sort of pick up ideas? Or so, it, uh, as part of the Harvard Sports Analysis Collective, we have a partnership with the Boston Celtics where we help them with data collection, uh, and that's definitely made me more interested in the NBA. I sort of took a break from watching the NBA when I lived over here in the UK for a year, as I was very focused on football. But there's a lot, a lot. The other people in our club are very interested and very excited and enthused about, very excited about basketball and football and baseball. That it's definitely made me more interested in those sports as well. Cool. Okay. We'll take a quick break and I'll be back to talk about recruitments after. Welcome back to the Three at the Back podcast. Um, I'm going to speak to Brendan a bit now about the sort of recruitment uh, processes at Portland Timbers. So, uh, Brendan, do you want to give us a bit of an overview about how you got the uh, the role at the Timbers? Yeah. So, I, I first started to get into football analytics through the, the Sports Analysis Club. I started doing some writing and uh, written about uh, written about football analytics. And after my for the summer after my freshman year of college, I was I was looking for something to do, and I particularly wanted to work in football analytics. And so. Um, through a mutual friend, I was able to basically get my CV to Gavin Wilkinson, who is our general manager at the Timbers, and I sent him some of my some of my articles, and you know I told him this is what I think I can do for the team. Um, you know I think I can add you know, in the analytics analytics area, and so uh, we interviewed, and I started working for them in May of last year, um, and I've been there ever since, uh, working through the summer in Portland and then uh, remotely from school. Sure. And you, uh, you sort of work exclusively with Gavin. Do you have any sort of uh, FaceTime with the coaching staff at all? Uh, a little bit. It's my my job is primarily in, involved in recruitment, so I'm working, uh, you know, uh, essentially with the with Gavin um, out of the stadium where our uh, front office kind of that that part of the team is based. Sure. So, um, you know, that my primary interactions with him, and we also have another data analyst um, working in our. Know, so-called department um, now so there's so uh, my primary reactions are with those two sure um, and so with recruitment in MLS it's similar to say the Premier League where you have two windows you have your sort mm-hmm. of summer and winter window uh, the summer window just closed fairly recently um, so in terms of like uh, recruitment strategy do you have uh, you have more money to play with uh, you're not relying on free agents as such is mm-hmm. it is it more like you know you have a wider pool of targets uh, yes, to some extent, I would imagine. I mean, I haven't worked, um, you know, for another team, but, yeah. um, yeah, uh, but there's also all these mechanisms in MLS for, you know, signing and trading players. So, you know, you have to think about that layer too, um, discovery claims, allocation order, you know, how you can bring a player into the league is, is a little different than in, in a more open league. Yeah. And with MLS, it's quite a, 
it's quite a hairy league in terms of like the rule book constantly changes and yeah. um, you know the, sometimes rules just prop up that you you know you didn't really expect like uh, you know GAM and TAM the targeted allocation money and mm -hmm. general allocation money that's something that's uh, TAM especially is fairly recent so are these things you have to like keep on top of and you have to sort of keep going back to say reading the rule book as it were and, and understanding the league as much as you can? Uh, yeah so I mean for the most part, our general manager and our assistant general manager are focused on that, but I definitely make sure I understand the rules and am able to, you know, contribute to that discussion because it, it is important and, you know, the rules are not the most straightforward ever and we need to make sure that, you know, we're leveraging them to the best of our ability. Yeah. So if, um, in terms of like a recruitment process, you're uh, coming up to the summer window, you have like a big need for, uh, say, like a new left midfielder. Mm -hmm. Is there like a set process that you guys have in terms of you get like a big list of targets to start with and then whittle them down with sort of video and stats analysis, things like that? Is there like a, a bit of an overview you can give us of your sort of the processes at Timbers? Yeah, so I, uh, there's there's a very set process that we have um, that we're we use when we're recruiting players and we target a specific position you know we've identified you know the skill set if you will um, of you know certain players that we need in the position and, and so there are m quite a few different components that go into that um, we have scouts and we do pretty rigorous scouting and, and we you know we look at from that side we look at you know the the not off the field kind of things contract situation those sorts of things and, and that's Gavin's focus um, and then I'll provide the statistical uh, you know, report side of that. So that'll be, um, you know, if we're looking at a lot of players or if we've narrowed it down to just a few players, I'll provide um, an in-depth statistical report on that player. Um, and so, I mean, I can't go into details of what exactly we look at, but um, statistics are very involved in that process. Sure. And in terms of communicating those to Gavin, like, is it something where you use visualizations a lot, similar to Andrew with the sort of match reports? Uh, yeah, so it's a it's a combination of, of you know statistics, um, you know printed statistics numbers, if you will, and um, and then visual visual aids because you know, I'm a big believer in in providing the context. I don't think I think statistics on their own can be very misleading if you're not thinking about where they're happening on the field, you know the context of the situation where things are happening. Because I think you know you can really set yourself in the wrong direction if you're not considering all of those aspects when you're you know looking at a player. Yeah. Totally. Um, and in terms of obviously you've never worked at another team before yet, but is the sort of is Portland what you would consider sort of open to analytics? Are they sort of uh, understanding of it? Obviously embracing of it because you have a yeah. role. But is is like is your work valued and is what you're doing always understood, or or does it sort of depend on you've got to maybe communicate it in a different way to different people depending on their understanding? I I think. As an organization, I'm very lucky that I work for a team that really does value analytics. Um, you know, Gavin is a big believer in analytics, um, and he understands he understands kind of what I'm doing and, and how it can be applied well. And so I think, um, I mean, there's always I mean, there's always the you know I'm very technical about what I'm doing. I'm doing very technical things, but in the community but there's a good, you know, communication lines between Gavin and I as far as, you know, explaining what things mean even if it's a pretty advanced metric and, you know, we, you know, we're generally on the same page about um, with our communication about, you know, where the analytics come into play with, you know, all the other research that we've done and the information we're getting from scouts. So there's a very good interaction communication there. Yeah. And when it comes to balancing this stuff with schoolwork, I guess Andrew, yourself first, how does it go how do you go about sort of Ensuring that yeah you you know you're getting the grades that you want and also helping these teams out with 
you know, areas where they need help. Well, I'm actually not quite sure how I'm going to be able to fit that because I just started in May. So this fall is going to be a sort of a trial period with figuring out how to manage the two. But I, I sort of envision it being the first four or five weeks of the semester. I don't have too much schoolwork, so I'll be able to devote a lot more time to my work with the Cosmos, whereas I can continue doing it unless I have some major assignment due or major midterm coming up, which at Harvard is probably more often than I'd like. <laughs> but just, yeah, just like, it. we'll see in the fall, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. And Brendan, we sort of mentioned off, off the call that, uh, off the podcast even, that, uh, you know, you try to automate as much as you can, you know, efficiencies and time save there are, are huge. So can you go into that a bit more? Yeah, I mean, so we're very, uh, you know, obviously our, so uh, a little background, our other data analyst is also an undergrad. He's an undergrad at Stanford, Brendan Edelson. So he will be going back to school uh, soon too. So we're both going to be uh, working remotely. Um, but the great thing is that we both have some, you know, computer science and programming background. So we've been able to automate a lot of things, which is you know important to us. Not only because um, it's much easier when we have less time working from school, but um, there's a you know there's a aspect of consistency and you know if we're looking at a player and and Gavin needs something quickly we're able to get that done um, very fast through the systems that we've built out. Cool. Uh, we'll have a quick break and then we'll discuss uh, football analytics in general. Uh, welcome back to the Three at the Back podcast. Uh, we're going to discuss now about sort of general uh, football analytics in general. Um, so, Brendan, when we were pre-podcast again discussing about expected assists and you were saying you quite like that metric, is there yeah, a particular reason why? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's very valuable in that you can assess the chance creation of a player independent of the finisher's ability. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's a great a great asset to have as an analyst. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, in the future, I think, expanding on it so you're not just looking at the final pass, um, um going into your expected assist model, you're looking at other passes on the field. So, I mean, even, you know, several passes back, does moving the ball from here to here, which this player tends to do, does that, you know, increase our our likelihood of scoring or our expected goals from this possession by how much or, you know. So so I think the further you, you can go back from the final pass, you can probably learn quite a bit more about, you know, how certain types of penetration um, and certain types of, you know, how teams use their possession, how players use their possession to increase their chances of scoring if certain players, you know, even deeper players like as a defender, is their first pass out of the back more likely to lead to a goal um, than another defender who's, who's playing a different type of pass out of the back. So I think we can learn a lot more about the intrinsic value of, of passes in the midfield um, um, through expanding things similar to expected assists. Yeah. And uh, something that isn't really focused on in football as much as in, say, hockey, is secondary assists. Yeah. Um, so I think an MLS would count secondary assists. Yeah. Officially. Yeah. yeah. But um, so yeah, so there's definitely value there. Is like say, um, it's sort of public knowledge that Diego Valeri is a very good playmaker. Mm-hmm. So you know, can we find a guy who's able to get the ball to Valeri and you know help him, sort of enable him, as it were, to create good, uh, you know, good chances in terms of expected assists. Yeah. You know, there's there's really good value in finding people who can progress the ball forward whether it's sort of you know carrying it forward or passing it yeah um so yeah so i mean expected assist is really interesting and and no doubt we'll see more improvements in that in terms of when we have sort of merged data sets between tracking data uh, and event data um in the future so speaking of that 
um, combining tracking and event data. Uh, Andrew, we were speaking briefly about crossing. So, um, you know, analysis around crossing previously has been very, very much, you know, crosses are bad, but that might not potentially be the case. Yeah, so if you have tracking player, you can sort of be able to determine how many players will be uh, able to get on the end of a cross from both teams. So say if you're running down the right wing, guy like Andrews Townsend who likes to do something like that, if he's aiming at three players of his own versus three players on the other team in the box, the expected goals off of that's going to be much greater than if he's just got one guy in the box and there's five defenders. So you can sort of look at it, you can look at it two ways. You can sort of determine the expected goals determined based on sort of the personnel in the box and teams can be able to figure out, okay, where's sort of the place where it's probably better to pull it back and try and pass it into the box, sort of tying in with Brendan's idea of expected passes or sort of how value added to each pass or when it's better to just cross into the box. And then the other way you can look at that is you can figure out which of your players are above average with crossing. If he, if the number of shots or goals created off of his crosses is greater than the expected value, you might have a hidden gem and just in terms of performance on those crosses cross cross is because that's sort of the it's an attribute that a player has some players are very good at crossing the ball right onto someone's head and other guys will hit it straight at the goalie or sort of 10 yards too far and you can sort of use that to in addition to the passing as brendan already discussed and the crossing you can sort of use expected goals added with any opta statistic uh a one-on-one dribble you can figure use a guy's dribbling percentage to determine whether or not it's best for him to sort of dribble by a player. If he's a 50% player and by getting past the guy, it's probably better for him to take a guy one-on-one. But if the expected goals added by being past the player is lower, it's probably better for him to pass off. So that might be hard to implement now or in the next couple of years. But further down the line, there's a lot of places where analytics can take you. And I think the current expected goals model is a very good start, but there's a lot more that can be added on to that yeah I mean for from expected goals from a start you have you know adding in some sort of defensive pressure which currently we can we can try and attribute from various other opta statistics in your model but it's like it's less black and white in terms of this guy's under uh, you know severe pressure in terms of there's a guy within one meter of him when he takes the shot things like that so um yeah it's, it's an interesting area um and additionally you spoke about sort of a, an expected value uh, model as well so looking at um you know if you have a player Again, you know, you're, you're adding so many expected goals to him. You can understand sort of decision making a bit more, and then from say uh, creating, you know, a tactical philosophy, as it were, you can look at philosophies which create good quality chances a lot of the time. Whereas, uh, you know, some management philosophies may be creating chances of you know lower quality. Um, if you're going sort of route one long ball all the time, might not always create uh, good chances like that. Yeah, I mean, um, you can also sort of expand on that idea with players receiving passes. If a team goes route one all the time towards a small striker, that's the player receiving the ball is going to create less than a guy like Andy Carroll, yeah. who will be able to knock the ball down and play it around. So not only can you measure expected goals added, value added with passing, as Brendan mentioned, but you can also take it with players receiving the ball. So you can look at who's sort of getting into good spaces and moving well. So you yeah. can look at it both ways. And there's a ton of ways that you can go with that definitely um and from looking at other sports as well i mean base basketballs are a lot further ahead in terms of uh tracking data um brendan have you seen seen anything in say basketball with the you know tracking data which is ideas you'd like to potentially move across to soccer given the you know resources in the future 
Yeah, well, there's been a lot of good work in basketball recently using uh, tracking data to determine how well defense, how well individual, how well individual defenders play, which was something that was tricky before. Um, and so that's something that you know they've made strides in basketball, and I think in football that's that's the next step. You know, defense has always been a tricky thing to measure, um, and I think you know the combination of you know integrating tracking data and event data. Uh, similarly to what has been done in basketball will help us with that. Definitely. Um, even in baseball, you can sort of use tracking data. I mean, it's obviously a much slower sport, and it's very independent event heavy, but you've seen a large increase in the number of shifts placed on players, I mean, even with one, two strikes. So you can sort of use tracking data to determine sort of the best place to position fielders depending on the hitter or how the pitcher pitches so it's something that we've seen in American sports and and in football it would be sort of a game changer in my opinion just because it's so continuous and there's so much out there that's sort of unsolved yeah and in terms of say uh, if I was to give you sort of this new or you as create a new um, sort of expected goals model or, or this passes added model um, which is very you know, technically comp- complex and it involves tracking and, and event data how would you communicate that to a coach? I think it's uh, not really easy but it's definitely relatively to sort of expected goals I've been able to explain to people who aren't too statistically savvy you just say the number of goals they're expected to score based on the number, the placement of their shots. I guess that did sound a little bit of statistically savvy, savvy with the uh, expected part of that. But it's sort of people know that soccer is a very high variant sport. You'll see a League Two team in the FA Cup win one nil just based on luck, or they finish their one chance. Sure. So I mean, it won't you won't be able to get it across in ten seconds. But if you spend three to five minutes sort of explaining and ex- the current expected goals model and once you once that it's pretty easy to explain things after Additional that. Things, sure. Yeah. Uh, and to close out, I mean, both you guys are pretty young, still in university. Um, if there's anyone listening who's like interested in getting into analytics, what advice would you give to them, uh, Brendan? Uh, well, I would I would say, and I've I've told this to um, many people before, but I think the best way to get into analytics is to start writing about it, um, blogging about it. That's how I got into it. You know, that's how Andrew got into it. Um, you know, there's a couple reasons. First of all, you gain experience. Second of all, when you know, if you're looking to get a job with a team, you have, you know, something um, that you can show them that you've done. So it's not just a, you know, it's about a shot in the dark. They actually have some tangible work to look at. So yeah, I, I think that's the best way to get into it, and it's the way that a lot of people who are currently employed by teams got into it to begin with. Cool. Uh, appreciate the time, guys. Enjoy the the rest of the matches in London. Uh, and yep, yeah, this is the three at the back podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening. Bye.